and welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero, and in this podcast, we help college students just like you get internships and job offers from top companies. In this podcast, we explore topics such as networking, interviewing, resume writing, and many other topics that will get you those jobs. Not only do I speak on these topics myself, but I also interview other subject matter experts, including CEOs, university presidents, and Fortune 500 executives. We also interview college students just like you in the hopes that you can relate to their stories and learn from their journey. So if you're a college student looking to get ahead, look no further and welcome to the Mastering College to Career podcast. All right, so before we get started, I want to take a couple of seconds to tell you about the Mastering College to Career Academy. The Academy is a mentoring program that helps college students land the jobs of their dreams before they graduate. In this academy, I will teach you application hacks that will automatically help you beat over 90% of all other job applicants, networking tactics that will give you access to the hidden job market where over 80% of jobs are filled, interview techniques that will practically guarantee you make it through every round of the interviews and win the offer. And I will also connect you with my network of thousands of HR professionals and hiring managers that love hiring my students. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, just send me a message and let's see if the Academy is a good fit for you. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career podcast. And today we're having a special episode. Um, wanted to bring my friend Lizzie Ann Jones on the podcast. And Lizzie is a superstar. She's someone that I follow on LinkedIn, admire a lot. Her content it's always amazing, and especially what she's been posting in the last couple of weeks has really touched me, and I really wanted to have this conversation with her and publish it and share it with you guys because as much as I want to say that I understand and, and everything that's going on with, you know, with the movement, with the Black Lives Matter, I, I, I'm not black, so I, and even though that I am Spanish and there's some sort of sometimes racism to Hispanics. I, I can't say that there's been many occasions where I felt racism towards me, maybe because I just look white. And so I wanted to have conversations like this and I wanted to bring people to bring their perspective and people who've been found success early on in their career to say, well, how, what have they done their story and talk about it? Because I think it's talking about it's important. And so, Lizzie, welcome to the show. Well, before I bring in, Lizzie is the founder and career strategist, and she has an amazing company called Hey Lizzie Ann, and she wrote a book that is amazing. I posted about it a couple of weeks ago. It's called Mastering the Humble Brag, A Guide to Writing About Your Professional Wins, and she's amazing. So you have to follow her, but after your conversation, you're going to want to follow her anyway. So Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. I'm happy to be here, and um, I feel grateful for having this opportunity to speak with all of you. Lizzie, well, thank you again for coming, and I just wanted to just thank you for what you're posting and what you're sharing and being open and vulnerable to your LinkedIn audience. And I mean, it's, that's amazing. What motivated you to be so open about it? Yeah, um, I have to be honest in saying that it was not easy at all. I typically don't post about race on any of my social media platforms, but this time in history just feels so different. 
I feel like there are a lot of people who've had similar experiences to me that um, don't feel comfortable speaking up about it. And I, I thought it was important to share those experiences. Personally, I grew up in a really small town in Washington. My family was one of the only diverse families in that town. And I had to grow up quickly because of that. On my first day of school, um, I was on the bus and the little girl right next to me, she said, I hate black people. And that's all she said to me. And I was at five years old. Um, in that same year, I was called the N-word for the first time. It wasn't the last time. I was called that word by other students. I was called that word by adults as well. So I went from being this carefree child who really didn't even understand that I was black. Like I didn't know that I was black. I knew I had darker skin, but by the time I was five or six, like I knew that I was an African-American. I knew that I was different. And I also knew that there are people who just really hated me. And I was really upset about that because I thought, well, my parents teach me to be nice to other people and I do that. So why do people treat me like this? And my mom told me at a very young age that I would always have to give 200% to be on the same playing field as everyone else. And even if I do that, there will still be people who act racist towards me or will still hate me. And that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. And with that understanding, I tried so hard in school um, from a very young age. All I did was study. I studied during the summers. I did every sort of like educational after school program. I got straight A's. I did all the extracurriculars. And to some extent, that gave me a little bit of worth because there were some families in my town where they didn't really like me because I was Black, but then they saw me as, oh, she's one of the good ones. So we'll be nice to her. And it was because I did so well in school. And because of that, I put all of my worth in my achievement. It felt like I can be on this world. I can take up space on this planet only if I achieve a lot and I prove every negative stereotype wrong. Um, and it, it helped to some extent when I was growing up, but then it became really harmful later on um, because I put my whole identity and self-worth in terms of achievement, in terms of being able to be the first person in my family to go to college, the first um, person to graduate from college. I went to the University of Southern California. I got a really good job at Amazon right after. Um, and it, it felt good for a little bit. But then when you put all of your self-worth into achievement, when you fail, it can be very devastating. So when I started working professionally and Amazon was really hard and I struggled there, um, I got really depressed because of it. And I felt like, okay, well, if I'm not succeeding at 100%, then that gives me less of a reason to be on this planet because my whole worth as a person is in my achievement. So there were a lot of dark times where I felt like, okay, well, do I have any worth um, being here? And it all started because there were so many people who just looked at the color of my skin and defined me because of that. Um, and I know I'm not the only one who's experienced that, but I do know that I have a platform and an ability to speak about those things. So it's important for me to share that message so people can 
hear that story and see themselves and know that they're not alone. And for people who haven't experienced that to say like, that could have been a friend of mine or someone that I care about that's been through all of these things. Thank you for sharing all that, by the way, like that, you know, I, some of the, the things that you just mentioned, you had posted about it on LinkedIn and some you haven't. So like, I, I appreciate you like opening up because I know that's not easy. I know that, you know, you talk about, it, things be like putting everything on trying to be successful because you want to try not to fulfill those or the stereotypes, right? And you having that pressure and, and obviously that helped in a way to help you get to reach those levels of success and push you and work harder because you want to make sure you fulfill that. But where do you go for help? Where did, did is there places I know we talked about like finding safe places, allies and in fostering mental health. I think mental health is super important and it's not really talked about that much. Yeah. That's something that I would have done differently in my past, especially in college. Um, what I would advise students of color and especially African-American students is really just face all of your trials head on and your race head on. When I got into USC, I was in this place of, I made it, like, this is it, this is the jackpot. So there should be no reason why I should struggle or feel bad because I made it. Um, and I kind of ignored and suppressed a lot of the things and adversities that I'd been through and still continue to go through at USC because I, I got into college. And if I could do something differently, I would have asked for help. Um, so what I would advise students of color is to find a community, people that you can talk to, even if they're not the people that you hang out with every single day, it's so important to have people who can create this safe space for you and to be able to talk about your experiences freely. Because even when I was in college, there were things that happened in the current events that I just, um, didn't talk about and I just kind of suppressed. So the first thing I would say is really find a community um, whether it's, you know, an African-American uh, affinity group at school or just like some people that, you know, just find that place. And I would also encourage students to take advantage of the free mental health counseling at universities. Um, it's typically a lot easier to go through that process than as an adult. Um, and just it's so strong to be able to get help and professional help. And I don't think that's... Um, kind of cultivated enough in the black community. There's this mentality that we just have to be strong and just tough it out. Um, but there are so many black people that have trauma that they just never talk about because it's seen as not okay to do that. It's, it's seen as a sign of weakness, but it's not. It's the most powerful thing that you can do. So even if you have your parents, your aunties who say, you know, just pray to Jesus if you have a have depression or anxiety. Um, know that at least me, I'm I'm telling you that it's it's so healthy to get professional help. And even if you feel just a little interest in doing that, just do it. You it could really change your life. Mental health for me has been um it's it's been interesting like because like, I guess for me, I've always believed that um, you control your mindset, that you could just, that it's up to you if you're happy or if you're sad. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of internal and external locus of control. 
And so I have like in everything that, that, that's good that happens in my life is on me. Everything that's bad that's happened in my life is out of me. And I've always been a very strong believer of that. And it wasn't until um, a really good friend of mine was dealing with depression and she shared something on, on Instagram that talked about, you know, mental health. And I just said, I commented very naively, said something like, you can control your mindset. It's up to you. You can snap yourself out of it. Something like that. Like, uh, and in, instead of her calling me out on Instagram, she just called me and just talked to me, right. And educated me on it. And then happens to be, and then, so now I was aware of it, but then what happens to be like later on, like, like about two years ago is when I first started feeling for me, anxiety and, and feeling it because of running a business and all the uncertainty that running a business caused. And I didn't know how big of a deal was. And once I started doing research about how to solve my problem is that I realized that it's actually very common and it's okay to go for help. And I, I'm now learning that this is a bigger problem too in the African-American community. And so I'm happy that you're talking about it and talking about different resources because most university campuses do have resources available for all students that you can take advantage of it, that is free of charge for you as a student. Yeah, and it's so true that mental health is a real thing. Just because you can't see it physically on a person doesn't mean that it's not there. If you looked at a brain scan of someone who has depression versus someone who doesn't, there are clear differences there. You just don't see it on a daily basis. And one thing that was really powerful to me when I was in college was um, I was in this occupational therapy class where they showed this TED talk about um, PTSD and how students or children who grew up in gang um, infested areas have similar or even more PTSD than soldiers who come back from fighting in the Middle East. And that is so, so powerful um, because trauma is real and it really can affect you. Um, and when I first started seeing a therapist and I told her about some of the things that happened to me as a child, she um, suggested a therapy for PTSD. And I was like, what? Like I, that's for people who are in the military. Like that's yeah. not for me. And she walked me through all of these scenarios that I had been through. And she said, the fact that you've been through this as a young child and you've suppressed it for so long and you react in certain situations like this, like that is PTSD. Um, and I had no idea that I could be someone who would be impacted by that, but it took me going to a therapist and a psychiatrist to understand that. And because of that, I've been able to be in a better place mentally where I and just be a more healthy person and be a better leader for other people. And I think that's the strongest thing that I've ever done, more so than graduating from college, being a first gen, like that's the, the most powerful thing I've ever done. Well, let me, let's talk about, so this podcast is called Mastering College to Career, and it's really focused on helping students master the transition from, from college to career. Um, my whole company is really focused on helping first generation and minority students, African-American students falling under minorities, right? Um, part of it. 
you've been very successful early on in your career. You know, from that transition from college to career, like you said, you had a, a job lined up with Amazon. Can you talk about some advice for minority students, first-generation students, African-American students that are currently in college right now that see everything that's going on and are feeling like injustice for them? And what are some advice that they can do to position themselves better to be able to be successful after college or even during college? It's a lot in this question. Sorry. Yeah, that's a big question. And it's a great question. I would say there are two main things that you should focus on. The first is just self-care. The more you just try to ignore what's going on or don't talk about the feelings that you're, you're having of frustration and anger, the more that will impact you later on. So I would encourage you now to take whatever time you need, um, talk to whoever you need to talk to, to feel in a better space. So that's the very, very first thing. The second thing that I would recommend is to just keep going. And I know that is a very general term, but at some point we're going to have to get back on our horses and continue to work hard in school, in your classes, in your internship, so that you can position yourself to be in a place where you can be an advocate. And what I mean by that is when you are at a company and you're one of the only diverse people on a team and you're able to tell your management about um, ways that you can bring alternative perspectives um, into your company when you can be a part of an affinity group and lead fundraisers at a company or someday be um, a leader where you're making hiring decisions. That is where real change happens. You can protest and post things on social media, and it's a good way to get people aware. It's a good way to let some things off of your chest. But when you really want to make change, it happens when you're in a position of leadership, when you're in a position where you can inspire others, and when you're in a position where you can shape organizations. And that is the end goal, and you can't forget about it. So when I say keep going, I mean set up a plan for yourself on, okay, if I'm feeling this type of way, here's who I'm going to talk to. Um, if I am, I'm seeing some stuff on the news that makes me feel really down, I'm going to just take a break from social media so I can focus. And then I'll have another time where I can focus on that. Um, have some sort of a long-term strategy so that you can keep going and that you don't just kind of go down this black hole. Um, and, on that note of um, continuing to keep going, one thing that really helped me in my success was documenting all of my success. So I, I've never had people around me to my horn or, or tell me that I was doing great. If anything, people thought less of me and I had to overcompensate. So I've always been in this mindset of just always keeping track of my accomplishments so that I could be my own advocate. Um, so that's something that I did throughout college was any club that I was in, any initiative that I did or volunteer work that I did, I always documented everything. I just had this like kind of diary of all the things that I was doing. And then when it came to writing my resume and filling out my LinkedIn profile, I was able to really effectively talk about all the things that I, I had done. And I would say that's probably one of the reasons why I was able to get into Amazon. Um, I did have a very metrics driven, quantifiable resume because I was able to document those things. 
And documenting those things helped me be in a mindset of like, okay, if I'm going to take on a new project, how can I do that in a way where I can have some sort of a measurable impact that I can record because I can use that in my toolbox to, to, to move forward. Um, so having that long-term strategy was something that really helped me when I was going through college and trying to position myself for success. You mentioned a lot about like keeping track and making sure that you were able to like record your journey. And I was going to talk about your book later on, but I think that this is important to talk about because some of the advice that you're given or was, was just given as in the right in the last answer was a lot of what you talked about in mastering the humble brag. Do you want to just elaborate, tell us a little bit about your book, why you wrote it and tell us a little bit more about what's, the students can expect by reading it? Yes. So I published an ebook about how to write about your professional wins. And the purpose of this book is to help you organize your thoughts and writing process and basically having a list of all of the things that you do, figuring out what on that list is a win and then how to write about that win so you can use it on a resume or LinkedIn profile. And it's essentially what I was doing in college. And then I use that strategy to um, help my current clients for my business. And one of the reasons why I wrote this book is that I think being a person of color, you're just kind of used to being heads down, um, not having people kind of advocate for you or you kind of overcompensate for something. So, um, it can be hard to figure out like what your wins are um, if you don't have a lot of people around you that are, are that are calling that out. So it's kind of being a self advocate. Um, and then there's also, at least I felt in in my community, where there is this kind of need for humility, where you just have to be heads down and just achieve all these things and not be boastful about it. But although that's a good trait to have, it's important to be able to brag about yourself when you are applying for jobs and trying to advocate for yourself. So those parts of my experiences were really powerful to me. And I saw that um, happen a lot with different um, workshops that I did and different clients that I worked with that it was typically people of color and women who had a lot of trouble bragging about themselves or would kind of undermine the things that they've done. So that's kind of the audience that I wrote for and with my book, it's not your traditional ebook. It's not just talking at you. There are actual activities that you can do throughout the process where it guides you on how to write about your wins so that you can be in a different mindset when you want to write about them um, in the future. Uh, I'm telling you guys, it's a really good book to help you really put your thoughts together and help you organize. It's going to help you write a better resume, ultimately be able to tell your story better and share your wins. So she did a really good job with it. So um, I'm going to put a link to your website too, so that students, if you go to the show notes, you can go in and learn more about it and buy it and download it and really use it because it'd be very helpful. Hey, Daniel here. We've just hit the middle of the episode, but before we move on, I want to share the story of Tim, one of the students who recently went through my academy. Hi, I'm Timothy Castaneda, and I just got my dream job offer for my future career. I actually start Monday, and that is all thanks to Daniel and the Mastery College to Career program. Um, 
I had been looking for a new career for the last five months. For the first four months of that college, of that career search, I had not been with Daniel or the Master in College to Career Program. I had been doing it myself, and I got to tell you, I had no success. I got 10 no's from 10 different companies, and at my lowest point, I reached out to Daniel because I had seen stuff about him, I had seen stuff about the Master in College to Career Program on LinkedIn, and he actually got back to me that very same day, and we had a 15-minute conversation that changed my life. I decided to sign up for that program, and I got to tell you, it was the best professional decision ever. It led to me getting this job offer for three reasons. The first, I the course itself is so intuitive. It is step-by-step, step, literally everything you would need to make yourself the best candidate, not only for this career search, but anytime down in the future to make yourself the top candidate for any career that you dream in being. Daniel will help you get there. Two, you can actually have some one-on-one -on -one time with Daniel. He actually cares. He knew me by name. He remembered some of the things that we spoke about. He remembered the profession that I was looking at when I met up with him again. Um, and it really made me feel like he actually cared about my success. And that made me believe in myself after getting those 10 straight no's. And the third reason is the, co the cost of the course itself, you are going to get a huge return on investment. It is literally less than the cost of a college credit and you get a 30 day money back guarantee that Daniel himself promises. And I can tell you within those 30 days of me signing up, I had had three job offers from four different companies, two of which were in the top 10 list of what I was looking for. And that is again all thanks to Daniel and the Mastering College to Career course. Best decision in my life, go look at the website, reach out to Daniel LinkedIn, I promise you, you won't regret it. If you want me to help you reach your career goals, just contact me. And now, let's get back to the rest of the show. I want to, you know, transition a little bit about once a student get, like, when we talk about minority students going after for their first job. And I want to tell you guys a little bit of what I saw when I was in corporate America, because I think it's important to know that not all comp companies see the same have the same diversity and inclusion agenda um i was you know lucky to have started my career at pepsico and pepsico is a very progressive company um that's really big on diversity and not just saying we're big on diversity but by also talking like not just talk just talking about it by taking action so um i was sharing with lizzie before our call that you know when i was in pepsico PepsiCo CEO was the only minority woman in the Fortune 500 and one of two women who sat in the Fortune 500. And I was, I, I was very lucky to have a very diverse set of managers and even coworkers. And PepsiCo did a really good job at making sure that, employ, that employers and the managers, the way that we talked about it, was that it mimics the communities in which we serve. So our recruitment process, when I was part of the rec campus recruitment process, we would say, okay, Orlando or Florida or Central Florida, it is 50% women, 40% Hispanics, 18 or 20% African American, and you know, remaining. We would try as much as we can, as long as they're qualified, right? Try to make sure that we mimic the market in which we serve. And not just the, the, the level entry workers, but management as a whole. And they really foster diversity. But because of that, I assume that every corporate America was like that in the beginning, right? Like, I mean, that's what I would, you, from my point of view, 
that is the first real company in which I had a voice on, right? I was in management. I was a district manager. I was managing over a $15 million business when I was a manager. When I was, when I left the company, I was managing over a hundred million dollars worth of sales. Like that's a lot of money. I had a lot of influence and power. And I assumed that it all were like that. And there was a lot of times where I would meet customers out in the market that were not like that. And a lot of my coworkers um, literally had to talk about how to navigate difficult conversations with customers. So what, I, what, what I'm going with is, and Lizzie, I want to let you make your opinion with this, is as a student and as a minority student, I want you to research. All this, all this information is public. Research what companies are fostering diversity what companies are gonna welcome you and appreciate your voice and want to try to have their employees match or mimic or represent the communities in which they serve on and apply for those companies the data proves it diverse companies perform better over time right diverse ideas they're better they're better they're able to create better products to serve those demographics. Like the, it's no longer about is what's good, right? What needs to be, what it should be, what is naturally, what it should be good, right? It is now about, it even makes business sense. So I, you have an option and you vote by where you apply, right? We're not, and I'm not even talking about politics here. I'm talking about you as a talented minority individual that's about to graduate college. You decide where you take your talent, right? You decide where you apply. And I just encourage you to research and take the time to research for companies that are going to foster you and push you and help you progress through your career and not maybe hire you just because they're trying to hit a number. So there's one thing about companies that are trying to do it by just by hitting a number. Um, but another one is because they actually mean it and care and they're going to foster you. But that's just, that was my experience. And I actually took a lot of that for granted and is now that I'm outside of PepsiCo for over two years. Now that I have conversations with so many companies and I've done so much research on companies that I see the companies that really mean it versus the companies that are just trying to hit a number. Lizzie, I'll let you talk. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's so interesting. I think we had like very opposite journeys. I am from the tech industry. So I've worked at Amazon, I've worked at Expedia and high tech in general is not very diverse in terms of numbers. Um, but I would agree that the overarching goal for, I would say most companies is that if you match your customer base, you are going to perform better. If your employees demographic matches the demographics of your, your customers, which is essentially wherever you're living in, um, you'll be able to foster different ideas um, that can make the business better. However, not all companies are alike in achieving that um, mission of diversity and then some people or some companies stop at diversity but then they don't take it a step further in inclusion um, and what I would say is that if you're coming out of college there's two roles that you can be in in a company you can be in a company where there is good diversity and inclusion initiatives and you can have that sort of community where you can just thrive and be the best that you can be within corporate America. There is another path you can take, which is to be a trailblazer and go to a company that doesn't have a lot of great diversity inclusion initiatives. And you can be that person to make things better. That's a lot harder. Um, 
And with those things in mind, you have to think about um, not only where you want to put your talent, but also the type of person that you want to be and the type of support that you need. Some people like being that trailblazer um, and being that person to kind of disrupt things. Um, it is a lot harder. And it's something that I've been thinking about too. I'm actually going back to school this fall. And as I apply for different companies, I'm definitely looking at what they're doing in terms of inclusion work. And I wish that was something that I did when I was graduating college. When I was graduating, I was just looking at name brands. I was like, I just want to get into the best company I can and just start there. Um, and I, I turned out fine because of it, but in terms of priorities and what I, I need now after my experiences, um, I would say that DNI efforts is it's a lot more important to me now and not just like what they brand or or what their logo say but like actually reading reviews on Glassdoor and 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 seeing how people of color who work at those companies how they actually feel networking with people of color at those companies and say like this is what your company says on their website and it looks really cool but like how are things actually when you're working there that's something that I'm definitely being my, more mindful of do you feel like you have an obligation now because you're in a position of more influence and in a position of now, like you're about to go get your MBA, but you have a really good career track already. And so, you know, you're going to, I hope you know, and I think you, I think you know inside that you will have a good job lined up, whether you decide to continue on growing your business or to go work for another company after your MBA, do you now feel like you have an obligation to create a path or to, voice your opinion like to even progress this movement even forward 110 percent, absolutely um how disappointing would it be for me to climb this high and not lift up others who are still climbing right now there are so many people whose shoulders that i stand on to get to where i am so i will never ever forget that and i will never stop trying to be a better advocate and a better leader for people who are coming after me um, there are a lot of things about my job search process that were really hard because I was a first gen and I didn't have a, a big community to rely on. And that's why I do so many free workshops and free one-on-ones with students. Um, a lot of the time students of color, first generation students, so that it could be just a little bit easier for them. So I've been doing a lot of stuff on my own um, and I really want to do that at scale as a leader. Um, and when I looked into MBA school, I um, found out about this program called the Consortium. And this is a fellowship program that is dedicated to increasing the number of underrepresented minorities in management. So through that fellowship, I was actually able to get a full scholarship to Rice University. So if there's any of you, if anyone is listening on the call and they're thinking about management in the future, I would highly encourage you to look at the consortium fellowship. Um, I, I'm not an ambassador or anyway, but it's been really cool because I was able to get my education paid for. And I've been able to network with other black leaders in that are going to different schools through this program. And it's been so empowering to see people who've been through the same things as me, who are now going to be executive leaders in the future, hopefully I will be too. And we all have that same mission and it's really good to be connected to them. So yes, to answer your question, it's, it's always top of mind and it's an always evolving too. The more that I learn, the more that I'm 
able to progress in my career, my platform is always going to change. My message is going to change, but um, yeah, it, it's so important for me to be a leader. That's, that's really amazing. I, I feel it too. Like for me, I feel like there's an obligation for me to teach first generation minority students how to get a job because I saw how much of an impact it had on me. And one of the things I want like the audience to, that is listening to understand is that it's like, I have not met a very successful person very, like that is not willing or wanting to help other people. I've never met anybody that's done it by themselves. They've always gotten help. No one makes it to a high level of success by themselves. And so what, I, what I'm asked, I always talk about this. How do you try to make your opportunities into, into an advantage? Like the, the negative things that have happened in your life, how do you make it into positives? Right. And I guess what I'm trying to say with this is this, like if you're a student and you're listening to this, and you want to go and, and, and you want to be, say, you want your dream job is to work at PepsiCo and be a director or vice president at PepsiCo. Reach out to PepsiCo has a lot of VPs, directors, high level executives. The CEO of PepsiCo is the CEO of PepsiCo of Frito-Lay or Pepsi. I'm trying to think. So Pepsi, PepsiCo is such a huge organization. There's a bunch of divisions. The guy in charge of Frito-Lay, the CEO of Frito-Lay, which by itself would be a Fortune 500 company, he is an African-American who worked his, his way up through the company. Um, the, the, one of the, there's seven v, VPs, uh, general managers. He was my boss when I was in Orlando. His name is Cyril Wallace. Again, African-American male who worked his way up. The best boss I ever had, Sharonda Younger. Again, PepsiCo is full of amazing leaders. If you were to reach out to them on LinkedIn, and say, hey, I'm a first-generation student. I'm an African-American student. I want to be successful in, in, in corporate America. Can you mentor me? With a personalized message of why specifically you're reaching out to them, whether they're from the same town as you, whether they went to the same college as you, whether, I don't know, you guys like the same team. Like, if The more you can be specified, and, and they're going to want to help. I've never heard a leader at that level in corporate America or any level of success not wanting to help. If they're not replying to you or if they're not wanting to help, it's because you weren't as specific enough or you didn't clarify and show them why you're not going to be a waste of their time. The biggest obstacle that I find when somebody very successful is talking to college students is that they don't feel like when they're talking to the student that they're actually going to execute that advice and they feel like they're wasting their time. If you can prove to them that you are not wasting their time, they will give you all the time that you want. What has been your experience, Lizzie? I see you're shaking your head and this is a podcast, so they can't see that. <laughs> yes, it is so, so true. Um, it, there's no one who's reached a point of success that, that doesn't want to give back because there is someone who helped them too. Um, and I get a lot of students who reach out to me and the hardest thing, like you said, is when um, the outreach is too general and you don't know what what kind if they're going to actually use that 30 minutes of your time and ask specific questions um or when you go on a call with someone and you feel like you're just kind of talking about yourself and you don't really feel like that's going to impact someone else and like they're actually going to use that advice um th that is a little bit difficult to make time for so just plus one to everything that you say make sure that your outreach is personable um 
and personalized and that you ask really good questions for that person too. Don't ask them things that you can find online. Don't ask them like, how long have you worked in the industry? Like, where have you worked at? Ask them questions about, you know, what barriers did they encounter? What are things that they would change about the industry? Um, ask them for book recommendations, podcast recommendations, ask them things that you can actually take away and learn from. Because if you're doing that, um, absolutely, people will make time for you. And I would challenge you that after you have a coffee chat with some leader to follow up with them over time, you know, every couple months, just check in with them, say, thanks for that recommendation for that article, loved it. Here's one that I recommend for you and keep those people in your network because few years down the line when you're applying for jobs, those people can be referrals to you. So absolutely take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I wanna just talk a little bit more about that because I think people are intimidated and they feel like they send messages and they don't get reply. Um, so I'm gonna give you guys an example. There's this person, and I don't know, Lizzie, if you know who this person is. Um, his name is Scott Galloway. He's a professor at NYU. NYU. Um, he wrote the book, The Four. Um, and he also wrote a book called the algebraic equation or that algebraic equation of happiness or something related to that. I would love to have him on my podcast, right? Like that he is, he talks about disrupting the university system. He talks about um, how he, he, everything he talks about, I just love, right? I, I, I could go message him on LinkedIn right now and say, Hey, professor Galloway, can you be on my podcast? But I also know that he probably gets a lot of requests to be on people's podcasts. Um, and he even talks about how he charges $50,000 an hour for his speeches. So I can't even, I can't, I can't, I can't, like, there's no way, right? So I have a long game strategy to get in a hold of him, right? I understand that his time is super valuable, $50,000 an hour, right? I have to show him that when I do talk to him, that it won't be a waste of his time. So what, why am I, what am I doing to do so? I read all his books, right? I listened to all his episodes of his podcast. I watch all his YouTube videos, right? And I'm commenting and engaging in every single post he makes on LinkedIn. And I'm going to do that for at least a month. Then after I've invested probably around 60 hours of my time consuming his content, knowing pretty much everything he put out online, then I will make an ask because I've already invested the time, Right? And then he'll know because the way of the question that I asked and the way that I started the conversation that it won't be a waste of time. He's probably already seen that I've engaged in his content for the last month. And so he probably is wondering who the heck is this guy engaging in my content and not just putting great posts, but actually putting meaningful engagement in it. And even though it's a very extreme example, and I'm not saying that you need to do that to every single you, you do, but the more that you can either have those people that you want to get uh, talk to been on a podcast do they have a book do they write content on linkedin um do they have a blog um are they putting out information that you can then find out on your own before asking them so that when you do talk to them that you can say hey i've i've read your books i've listened to your podcast like here's my question that you did not answer throughout this whole thing he's gonna be like okay you put all that work I can get five minutes and then I can then lead that and say, Hey, can you come share your message with my students? What are your thoughts on that strategy, Lizzie? That, yes. I can't wait to see him on your podcast someday. Um, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I would say like when you're trying to think about like how much research that I do, 
just start with what that person has published. If this person just graduated college and they haven't like written a book or anything, like you could probably just read their profile, find a connection um, or commonality, and then do an outreach. If this is a person who has been working for a while, they've published um, several posts on LinkedIn, they have a website, then look at all of that. So start with what they have shared publicly to um, create a game plan on how much research that you should do, but you should always do some level of research. I love it. Lizzie, thank you so much. What is the best way for students that want to get to know you better, want to follow you to get to connect with you? Absolutely. Um, there's a couple ways. You can follow me on LinkedIn. If you type in Lizzie Jones on LinkedIn, I'm usually the, the first person that pops up. And I post a lot of content regularly there that you can follow. Um, I'm also on Instagram at HeyLizzieAnn. If you want to follow me there, I, I post career content. And then I do have a website. It's HeyLizzieAnn.com where I post about different events and things that I'm doing in the community. So feel free to reach out in any of those ways. I would have those links in the show notes again, as well as the link to her book, Mastering the Humble Brag, a guide to writing about your professional wins um, and her LinkedIn, because you got to follow her on LinkedIn. If not, you're missing out. Lizzie, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you for being a friend and for motivating me and from really pushing me to my normal state to just stay quiet and just keep all my emotions inside and for actually letting me um, voice this out. So thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. And everybody else for listening. Thank you guys so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode. All right, my friend, congratulations for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. In the age of short attention span, this speaks volumes of you. So now, if you found value in this episode, then I am sure you're going to find value in the Mastering College to Career Academy. So if you want to learn more a little bit about the academy, go to masteringcollegetocareer.com or just send me a message. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys all on the next episode.